It's time for the So She Did Podcast, where we discuss how you can live a life that sets your soul on fire. By focusing on your passions, finding and staying intensely motivated, dealing with the pressures and responsibility of everyday life, and realizing your full potential so that you can achieve excellence both professionally and personally. Directly from the So She Did studio in Denver, Colorado, please welcome your hostess, leadership expert, life coach, corporate sales leader, and author, Kristen Esparza. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me today, Kristen Esparza on the So She Did podcast. I am excited about today's guest. We have Rachel Shumway on the show today. Rachel is a badassery coach, teacher, and emotional intelligence mentor. Her website is thebadassacademy.com. And if you have been listening to the show, you can tell this is right up our alley and the things that we want to talk about because I am all about empowering women, helping women find fire in their lives so that they can live a life that is full of passion and excitement. And Rachel's title, Badassery Coach, fits right in with what we talk about. So before we jump into our conversation, Rachel, what is a badassery coach? (laughs) Yes, so a badassery coach essentially is what I do is I help people create more badassery in their life and their business and their relationships. And what that looks like is more embracing of the authentic self, more willingness to take risks and more ability to manage your emotions around those risks. Because when you're going out, you're doing big, badass things. You're going to be facing rejection and fear and discomfort and going into unknown territory where you're probably not going to have a lot of models or mentors to um, to show you the way because it's your own path. So badassery is combining those three things and really marrying authenticity and emotional management and risk taking to create a life that is not just cookie cutter according to what other people may expect, but it's really in alignment with your heart's desires. I love that. And one of the things that I say, even in the intro of the podcast, it says is living a life that sets your soul on fire. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that you said that really just stood out to me is this isn't about following somebody else's path. This is about finding your own path and following that. So how, how are those two things different? And do you see your clients and the people that you work with trying to follow a set path? How do we get to our own path? Yeah, I mean, I think we all innately know what our, what our path is. And I think that those are our desires, the things mm-hmm. that we want. And not just the things that we want from like, a, I want it because somebody else has it, but like, If I had this, I would be, like you said, lit on fire. Like I would just be tingly all over. I would have so much joy and connection and excitement. Having this thing would create that for me. There are no shoulds involved. There are no, um, it's not possible for me to have it because nobody's ever done it before. Mm -hmm. It's just, I want what I want because I want it and I'm going to make it happen because I want it. And I love that. I love that. I want what I want because I want it without any judgment on yourself, without saying, well, I want what I want because I should. And for people who've listened to the show, you know that, you know, for the first 30 plus years of my life, I did exactly what I was supposed to do, exactly what I thought I was supposed to do. And I wasn't happy. It wasn't until I let go of that and said, what do I, I, Kristen, in my soul and in my heart really want that I was able to give myself permission to go out there and get it. And I think that, you know, you and I discussed the first time self-judgment very often gets in the way of not just women. It's surprising actually on the show, 50% of my listeners at this point are men. Um, So men and women go out there and judge themselves. So talk to me a little bit about how self-judgment gets in the way of us finding our true and authentic path. Oh my gosh. So that's like the perfect question for this week, because what I've been going through, like a little bit of context, I just moved back from three years in China. And so I am setting up shop, doing a business here in the United States with like a totally different context. And I'm kind of going back and realizing like the way that I work with my energy, with my processes, with my time is so very different from other humans. I have ADHD. And Mm -hmm. so like, as I have 
been trying to, you know, set up these business and, and doing all the things and like making the posts and the content, making it pretty and curated, noticing this idea within myself of like, Rachel, you're doing it wrong. Like Uh 5,000 times a day, my brain telling me you're doing it wrong. Yes. And so I think that that idea comes in different forms for all of it. It may not be that exact thought you're doing it wrong, but when we are younger, particularly those of us that do have either, you know, ADHD or are a little bit quirky or like don't quite fit, which we all have those things, right? Um, Is that creates a story that somehow if we do it quote unquote wrong, Mm -hmm. meaning not the way that more than 50% of the population does it, then it means that we are wrong in some way. Yes. So I think it's like very much internalized, something that we grow up with and we all have that naturally. And really when we set those big goals, that's when the self-judgment presents itself because we're yeah. giving it an opportunity to come up so that we can work through it Yeah. into deeper self-intimacy so that when we are going to achieve our goals, right? Mm-hmm. We don't just do it so that we can do it, but we do it so that we can love and accept ourselves more. Yes, while we're doing it. And I think, you know, it's been a really powerful lesson for me because I come from this corporate sales and marketing background. And in just launching the podcast and doing this thing that I'm doing, I talked to some marketing people and they said, you know, Kristen, you need to do this. You need to make sure you're targeting these people, that you know who your audience is, that you are, you know, giving this specific message. And I started to do that and follow those directions that, Everybody, all of the experts say this is the way that you should do it. Yep, the experts in quotes. If you're watching us on YouTube, you see Rachel making the quotes sign. Um, and it just didn't feel right to me. And so actually what I did is I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to book podcast guests and I'm just going to start talking to people. And within the first week had over 5,000 downloads. And, it, and half of them, as I mentioned earlier, are men when the marketing experts were telling me, well, if you're going to target women, you should market to women. And if I had done that, I don't think I would be here talking to you right now. I would have quit because it wasn't comfortable for me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a business example, but I think in the real world, the same thing, we have these ideas of how our house should look, um, what kind of car we should own, what our education should look like, those types of things, what dinner should look like. I mean, if you get on social media, everybody's posting pictures of these perfect meals and I'm looking at them while I'm in the drive-through. Let me be really clear. <laughs> Because that just doesn't work for my life. And for years, I did try to have the perfect house and the perfect meals and the perfect everything. And I was not happy. And it wasn't until I said, you know what? My kids can eat a drive through salad and it's going to be just as good as the one I would make at home. Why not? Um, that I felt I was free to go and, and seek those things that really fulfilled me and quite frankly, have made me a better leader, a better employee and a better mother. So, you know, um, one of the things you and I talked about the first time we talked about this idea of self-judgment was neurodiversity. So tell the listeners, what does that mean and how can we learn from that? Yeah. So neurodiversity, I think the term, the term was coined originally in 1980 or so, but essentially Mm -hmm. is a, a term that's includes people with neurodiverse brains. So this includes autism spectrum, depression prone, anxiety prone, ADHD, other like quote unquote normal, like, like diagnoses. Right. And it's like a lot of times growing up, at least for me, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it was like a death sentence in some ways. Like my parents were actually incredibly supportive and like worked with my teachers and like, okay, let's figure out a way to make this work. But if you if your child is diagnosed with ADHD that comes with so much stigma they're hyperactive they have low impulse control they aren't going to be able to function in the real world they're not going to be able to learn like oh my goodness the amount of learning trauma that comes from those of us that were you know our brains don't work in a classroom we don't like to a sit right. still for more than 5 minutes <laughs> it's right. impossible mm-hmm. And we don't like to be forced to learn things that are not interesting to us. Our brains work incredibly well and at lightning speed and with this incredible ability to work in flow with the things that we find interesting more than 
quote unquote normal human brains or just really those that don't have ADHD. And that's one example. Um, so kind of on the other side of the diagnosis is truly, I believe, a gift mm-hmm. and an opportunity. Yeah, like for us to be examples of how to do things our own way because we really don't have any other choice. If we're going to learn how to be happy and fulfilled, we can't do things the way that everybody else does it because it doesn't work for our brains and for our systems. Right. And how boring would the world be if we all did things the exact same way? And I think that when we talk about neurodiversity and people who are um, prone to these things, so I have a seven-year-old son, for example, who his teacher has suggested to me might be ADHD and he's brilliant. He is able to focus on the things that he loves much more intently than most people that I know. If you look historically, the people who have suffered from depression or from bipolar disorder, um, they have accomplished phenomenal feats that those of us who don't have that have not been able to do because of the level of focus and the level of introversion and thought that comes with those. And so, yes, these are certainly things that can be addressed at the medical level, and I recently talked about that on a show. Um, but also, I think there's, there's something beautiful about recognizing recognizing this diversity in humanity as a whole and saying, you know what, just because somebody has been labeled as XYZ doesn't mean they're less than. And in fact, we should look for the gifts that they can bring to those of us who don't have that, even if that's just learning acceptance, learning to branch out of our own comfort zone. Um, And I think it's really, really powerful when we start to recognize that neurodiversity is an asset to all of us as a society and for those people who have these quote unquote disorders or are not in line with the the rest of the population to recognize the beauty and the gift in that themselves so that they can see you know what i do have an issue with paying attention or focusing but when i do focus i'm able to focus so much better than other people and I have more energy than other people and whatever these things are, instead of saying I'm hyper, no, I'm energetic. I am too busy all the time. No, I'm able to keep moving and look at the flip side. What are the positive ways that we can reframe this for ourselves and see our own value to one another and to ourselves? Would you agree? Absolutely. And it's like, whether it's for neurodiversity or whether it's for you know, a particular personality trait, everything, I I truly believe everything that is in our personality, that is in our world, the people in our lives, they are always there for us. And so the skill of looking for, how is this for me? How can I use this obstacle as an opportunity to love myself more I can think of nothing more radical than choosing to love yourself when everybody around you is saying, you shouldn't be like that. You should change it. Choosing to love yourself in it. And, you know, if there's something that needs to be addressed, if whatever you're working on isn't taking you where you want to go or is harming yourself or others in some way, obviously taking a look look at that. Of course, yeah. Self-acceptance, just at a basic fundamental level, I feel and I truly believe there's zero instance in the world that that is harmful. Do you think that we ever judge ourselves without knowing that we're doing that or without meaning to? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like the messages that we have internalized go unquestioned. Yeah. And the fastest way to recognize when you're in self-judgment is I think to just be in, in touch with your body. Yeah. I feel the judgment much, much sooner than I hear the thoughts in my head. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see myself like really low energy or like I'll like crave a drink or something. And that's like a trigger to me of like, oh, something's not right here because I don't normally want to drink at 12 o'clock right. on a Wednesday. Right, right. <laughs> Example, right? So using that as a way to look inside yourself and recognize like at the thought level what those specific judgments are. Yeah, how do we, when we're talking about self-judgment and inner dialogue, um, how can we step back and observe that inner dialogue so that we can identify the negative thought patterns? Because I think one of the struggles is sometimes we judge ourselves without even knowing that we're doing it. So do you have any, you know, tangible tools that people can use to 
say, hold on a second. I've been telling myself this lie and recognizing that. Yeah, for sure. So I think the easiest thing is check for shoulds. Mm, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> As uh, one of my coaches says, it's like, you don't shit your pants. You don't should yourself either. Like, there don't you go. Yourself. Don't should yourself. I love that. <laughs> so looking for any time that you're saying, I should have done this differently. They should have done this differently. This should be different. There's always a judgment in there. Yes. And a really simple way everybody can do it at any time. Get a piece of paper and a pen right at the top of the page. The issue like, like the biggest thing that's come into your mind and just brain dump all of the crap. Yes. All of the judgments, all of the things she shouldn't have done. Like, don't filter yourself. Don't try to sound nice. Brene, Brene Brown calls this the shitty first draft. You yeah. just get all of it out, all of the terrible things. And then you look at it from above. So I like to imagine like that I have me, like I see my physical body outside of myself. And then I just, for me, this is what works. It's like, I imagine that there's a little chair in between my eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And then I like see myself sitting on it and watching it as if it was like, like a pensive from Harry Potter. I <laughs> see. Yeah. So setting yourself outside. Yeah. I like that visualization aspect. Some people don't visualize in such a strong way, but it's just this sense really of like separating yourself from your thoughts and sometimes I just like to remind myself like these feel true because I've practiced believing them mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again yes but not because they are true and I'm gonna dig around see what I can uncover and find something else that's true that feels better and I love that you just said one of your coaches says, and you're a badassery coach. I do life coaching, but that means you work with a coach and I work with a coach too. And one thing that I would say is powerful for me, and I'm a person who generally tends to see myself as self-aware and I practice journaling and all of that kind of stuff, but there has been nothing more powerful for me than talking to another person, talking to a coach who has this objective view, this outside view of things who questions me and pushes back a little bit and says, Kristen, did you hear what you just said about yourself? Because there is value in talking to other people, especially somebody who has no stake in the game. So this is different than talking to um, your significant other or your mom or your dad or your kids or your, even your best friend because they have a stake in the game. But when you talk to this neutral third party as a coach, very often some of the most powerful epiphanies that I've had have come just from talking and it's funny sometimes she doesn't even have to say anything she'll ask one question i will ramble on for 30 minutes and at the end of the 30 minutes i think well now i know what the problem is because i just verbalized it does that make sense yeah and it's like their their job as a coach is to be objective and yes. like like i'm drowning i'm in a pool my coach's job is to stay out of the pool, not jump in and be like, oh, no, don't worry, like sympathizing and you're doing great. Keep pedaling. Although like cheerleading is different, obviously, yes. than, than the sympathizing. Right. But whose job is to just be like, hey, I noticed you're drowning. You're like you're you're spinning your wheels. But I think if you just slowed down, you would realize that the bottom of the pool is like literally right there. Yes. I love that chill. visual, too. Yeah. Mm hmm. Love that. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked, you know, you and I, when we first talked, talked a little bit about emotion and I will share with you this recent week, I've encountered a couple of women in the professional environment who cried at work. And in both cases, my first thought was suck it up, <laughs> stop it. You're making the rest of us look weak. Um, so in business in particular, there seems to be this idea that crying or expressing emotion is unprofessional or bad. So how do we as women who tend to be more emotional, and I won't say that's a rule, but I will say it's a tendency or at least a perception temper our emotions but still allow ourselves to express them where's the balance because i know this is something that you talk about quite a bit yeah and i love this question because in it is is an assumption that when we feel an emotion 
what makes it dangerous is having it in the first place. Mm. That being sad or um, frustrated is in and of itself dangerous. Because what happens when most of us feel frustrated is we react. Yes. We act from frustration instead of feeling the emotion. Yes. Which is a process of oop frustration. What does this feel like in my body? Okay, I'm sensing a hot, you know, tingle in my face. Mm-hmm. My chest is pulsing. My my hands are clenched. That is feeling verb frustration yes reacting to frustration is shooting yourself pushing it down telling yourself i shouldn't feel this way because if i feel this way i will cry or get angry or you know come off as whatever crazy crazy out of control unprofessional yeah unprofessional right that's Mm -hmm. a really big fear for most of us who have especially powerful women that have been told you're bossy right you shouldn't do that like handle yourself Mm -hmm. aka be more masculine be more linear be more boxed in be more controlled which is what our society has taught us to value but it's not the emotions themselves it's that we resist them yeah, and we tell ourselves that we're wrong for having them. And I will but- say one thing that I've observed in my career is, and I, and just in my life too, not just in the professional environment, that men tend to take whatever emotion they're feeling, sadness, frustration, whatever, and it exhibits as anger. So mm-hmm. when a woman has the same experience and it results in tears, there's this perception that she's more emotional because we as a society do not accept the fact that anger is also an emotion. That expression of anger is an emotion. That slamming the office door, that yelling at somebody, that those kinds of things, those are also an expression versus closing the door and crying. That appears to be weakness, whereas anger appears to be strength. But I would venture to say that in both situations, the person is very likely having the same core emotion and they're just expressing it in different ways. Now, is one better than the other? Um, I think in both situations, depending on the environment, you have to learn to control it, but controlling it doesn't mean ceasing to feel it. You can recognize I'm having this emotion right now, but in this certain situation, I need to be in control of my feelings and then I can come back and step, you know, uh, step aside and acknowledge that feeling, figure out what the root is so that I don't have this reaction next time. And I think that in people's careers, I have observed this. Those people who can do that tend to go farther in their careers, not because they don't have the same emotions, but because they're able to channel them and funnel them in a way that brings out the best in them and brings out the best in others. And you know, one conversation that I've had recently with some employees is, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be upset, but you may need to step aside so that that doesn't interfere with others because then you are creating this negative environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like it's like it's okay to be frustrated and know your threshold point where you know that you tend to start reacting in a way that's not going to be useful for you or the other people involved. If you start to reach reach that threshold point, then be brave like this is where really bravery and I think badassery at its highest peak comes in is owning your feelings and being like hey guys just need a couple minutes like I'm feeling super frustrated let me just like let's table this and let's come back when we're all able to come to this with like a more level and clear head not because like it's bad to be frustrated it's not it's not an emotion yes every single person in the world feels it yes and if there is something that is legitimately going on Mm -hmm. if a person is feeling attacked then they need to look at that and recognize why is there an unacceptable behavior going on is it just a story in your head is there a boundary that needs to be laid down is there an opportunity to improve the process of how the group is working together yes Right. And like using that as a catalyst to say something here isn't working. How can we make this better so that we're all feeling like we're on the same page? 
because that's when we're at our finest is and when we're all working together. I love that you link that back to badassery because um, it is much more strong. It is much more badass to acknowledge, and you you mentioned Brene Brown, um, acknowledge the vulnerability of the moment and say, Hold, you know what, I need to take 10 minutes to regroup. Um, or I think we should all step away for 10 minutes and regroup. That takes a lot more courage, a lot more bravery, a lot more vulnerability than having that that breakdown in the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Absolutely. there's one thing that I'm really excited to talk to you about, and I want to tell both you and the listeners a story. So those of you who have been listening to the show know I grew up in an alcoholic household, and neither one of my parents graduated from high school. Um, I was raised primarily by my grandparents, and there was also a generational history of alcoholism there. So growing up, I had this skewed version of reality and who I could be. I would come home from school every day and at four o'clock Oprah was on and she had a guest named Ayanla Van Zandt. And Ayanla came on, she was um, talking about one of her books called Yesterday I Cried. And I remember her standing on the stage and saying, I want you to get a journal and I want you to write, yesterday I believed blank, today I know blank. And so at 14 years old, I got this 10 cent spiral notebook that I had and I started writing. Yesterday, I believed that my parents were alcoholics and therefore, you know, I was doomed to a life of misery. Today, I know that I am in control of my future. And to this day, when I start to have self-doubts and those kinds of things, I go back to that exact same format. Yesterday, I believed. Today, I know. And this worked for me for... 20 years, 25 years maybe, um, to the point that I would say I have become an expert at positive thinking, at manifesting, at, at doing those things to make me feel great about my life. But a few months ago, I was, you know, I had a really shitty day, was laying in my bed, um, started reading a book to motivate me and get my thoughts up, did it, closed the book, set it down on my nightstand, and as I was laying there, I had this notion that I was thinking positive at the expense of actually feeling my emotions and dealing with my shit. Um, so I, I had this, it was a huge epiphany for me that you're great at thinking positive, but you're not dealing with the shit underneath. And so I started reading about and hearing more about, it's like the universe just sent these messages to me about As a toxic mm -hmm. positivity. And I had probably seen him before, just not paid any attention. You know, what the hell is that? How can you be toxically positive? Until I realized, oh my gosh, I am being toxically positive. I am being so positive that it's negating parts of me that need to be dealt with. So I want you to talk, and I'm so excited for this conversation because I think so many people today need to hear this um, because it tends to be a trend that, in, you know, lately that encourages people to think positive, to manifest, those kinds of things. But I think there's risk when we only think positive thoughts. So is it unrealistic to always think positive? And what do we do when we know we need to pivot? Let's talk about it. Oh my gosh. So, so much good things to unpack. Thank you for sharing your story. I yes. think a lot of people don't real, realize that they are kind of stuck in that pattern of toxic pos positivity because accepting that that is your pattern requires you to then make a decision and a commitment to feel more crappy yes, moving forward. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and that takes bravery. So kudos to you. Um, and I think... So kind of from my perspective, growing up as someone that starting in fifth grade was diagnosed with depression, I always felt like, what is everyone's obsession with being happy? Yes. And to answer the question of, you know, is it unrealistic to be happy? Like most of the time, I don't know if those were your, were your exact words. I would answer with it's unrealistic to feel happy most of the time if you know, most of the time, not happy things are happening in your world. Yes, I agree with Someone that. Someone dies. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be happy. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, all of the stuff with Black Lives Matter, political unrest, so much discrimination that I see in the world, I'm pissed about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I choose to be, and I'm not going to shame myself for being angry at that. Yes. 
So there's the difference between the clean pain of I feel sad because somebody said something to me that was hurtful. Mm -hmm. I feel sad. I feel disappointed because I didn't get that promotion. Yeah. It's okay for me to feel disappointed. Yes. That's clean pain. Mm -hmm. And it processes and it moves through the body less than 90 seconds when you're truly in acceptance of I feel this, I'm choosing to feel this right now and it's okay and I love me anyways. Versus the dirty pain, which I think is where we start to see that toxic positivity come in, which is I feel sad. There's a problem with me because I feel sad. Yeah, I shouldn't feel this way. Something has gone wrong. And then you add a layer of judgment on it, which ah. I like to think of judgment as like, like you're painting your nails yes, and you like this really ugly green on. So mm-hmm. say like you're feeling rejection or something. It's like this hideous color of green nail polish. You put some judgment on it. It's like you add it on a top coat. It's layered in there solid now. So yes. like before you can even start to unpack the emotion, it's like you got to step out of the shame Yes. Step out of the judgment and allow yourself to be like, you know what? I'm a human. Yeah. I'm allowed to feel negative. Yeah. 50% of the time. In fact, I'm supposed to. Yeah. It's impossible to feel happy if you don't know the opposite. I love what you just said. And it really spoke to me in my personal experience about the nail polish, putting the layers of nail polish over it. Because that night, and this is going to be me being really vulnerable with both you and the listeners. I don't think I've admitted this to anybody but my coach. Um, That night as I was laying there, I came to realize that I have this core belief that not that I am unloved, but far worse that I am unlovable. And my whole life, again, I checked all the boxes. I've got a great career. I've got a great house. I've got all of these things. And I realized in that moment, I have been doing all of those things to prove to myself that I'm worthy of being loved. And I thought, I know my children love me, but they have to love me. I'm their mom. You know, and so if I take those kid, the kids out, then who loves me for who I am? And then I have this very, you know, reflective moment laying there in the dark in my bed. And I asked myself, how can I expect other people to love me if I don't love me? And I have been on this journey since then towards self-love, towards self-acceptance. And again, here I am, you know, this corporate executive with this great life and great career who goes home and had layers and layers of nail polish on that. Because if a week before you had said, you know, Kristen, you feel unlovable. I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm great. Until that night I laid there and I thought, I have been telling myself all of these great things. These are my layers of nail polish on top. So I don't have to deal with the layer underneath. And now I'm working through dealing with that layer, but it's not easy. It is not easy when you realize you have this core belief about yourself. And, you know, one of the things my coach has always said is, let's get to your inner child stuff. And I tell her, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to go to my inner child. Thank you. Can we just focus on moving forward? Um, But I think the universe finally said, hey, you might want to deal with with some of these layers under here. Because again, having had alcoholic parents and growing up like that, they left. And so at the core of me, I always felt like I'm not worthy of having somebody stay. And so I think that toxic positivity, to go back to our original topic, comes into play when we put those layers of nail polish on so that we don't have to deal with the one underneath. So we've got yellow nail polish on that is ugly and we don't like it, so we put the green on top. Yeah, not the best. Let's put some red on top. Let's, and then what happens is we have all of these layers that are on a really bad foundation. And the only way to get rid of the bad foundation is to go through those layers at the beginning. And certainly there is a place and a time for positive thought, for manifestation, for reinforcing, for motivation, because that's something I stand on and I absolutely believe it has made me successful. However, as I get older, I realize that we're not just the people on the outside. We're also the people on the inside. And this life is a journey for us. And we have to figure out what's the next step in my journey. And we don't know if we can't deal with the step before it. Would you agree? That's so beautiful. Absolutely. And like, 
Okay, I'm just taking in like everything you said because I know so... it was a lot. <laughs> no, there's so much goodness and truth in what you said, and it's like when you have ten layers of nail polish on, that is hard. It is hard. Like, what's hard is walking around the world, feeling like I feel so confident in this area of life. I have this family. I have this job. I have this. You know all of the things that, you know, on some level you do truly feel grateful for, but then on some level it's like, I feel like I should feel happier with this. Yes. What is missing, and what is wrong? And what's wrong is that you like having a family that you love and adore, and that loves and adores you, does not create the feeling of lovability, right? And worthiness. Right. It can't. It's outside of you. Mm-hmm. Having money, having a successful career, provides options, provides opportunities for travel, and a, you know a beautiful house. But it cannot fill the void of feeling unlovable and unworthy because money does not cause worthiness. It does not. Right. Mm-hmm. That comes from just believing that yeah, I'm worthy, and it's the simplest concept, and yet. The most difficult thing, because we've been taught our whole lives that worth comes from external things. If you can't、yes. see it, it's not true. Right. But what is true is that every single one of us was born lovable. We were. Yeah. We were born with the ability to give love, and the ability to feel love, and the ability to feel love. Comes from our beliefs and our judgments towards ourselves. It does, and one of the things I've said on the show that you know I say it a lot,、um, but I'm still working on believing it personally is you are worthy simply because you exist.、Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we all, most women in particular,、um, have the opportunity to work on. But men too, you're worthy simply because you exist. If you don't check the boxes, if you're not perfect, if you don't have perfect emotions all the time, the perfect appearance, the perfect job, it doesn't matter. You're worthy to be loved because you're there. And that's that's a hard lesson to learn. And to your point, it sounds so easy, but it's much more complicated when you're laying in bed at midnight and having these conversations with yourself. Yeah. So, so when it's like the undoing, a layer at a time. Yes. What's the judgment? How can I release this、yes. so that I can peel away one layer and get a little bit closer to the core, to the truth? Yes. So, what do you think a healthy mindset looks like in practice? Oh, <laughs> I know it's a tough one. It's a big question, so I'll boil it down. I think to start with, it looks like feeling negative emotion fifty percent of the time. That's a lot. Fifty percent of the time, that's a lot. It is, but it's not when you know that that's how it's supposed to be. Okay. Fifty percent of the things in the world, I would say, not too good. Okay. Okay. So I choose not to feel good, and what? What normally ends up happening? Oh, is, I like that. Wait, I choose not to feel good, as opposed to I'm overwhelmed by these external circumstances.、Yes. That's that's a big difference. So that's saying I'm making a choice because I know this is a necessary part of me. Yes, powerful. And it's like, yeah, and recognizing I can choose to feel, you know, fifty percent of the time bored. Yeah, and fifty percent of the time content. Okay. That's one way to look at it.、Mm-hmm. I can also choose to feel fifty percent of the time ecstatic, yes, excitement, love, and connection. And then on the other side, the opposite of being sorrowful, feeling、yeah. rejection, feeling disappointed, because I'm taking risks. Yes, because I'm saying yes to my dreams. I'm putting myself out there. I'm putting myself in harm's way for the purpose of evolving. To the next level of myself. Yes, I know it's gonna feel crappy sometimes. I expect it, and when those negative emotions, the emotions that you choose to feel because you know that they will lead you where you want to go, like feet, like courage, right? Doesn't so great. Yeah, sometimes, but it's gonna lead you to where you want when you choose that and you step into a place of okay, this is what we're doing. All of a sudden. 
that those negative emotions mean go. Yeah. And they don't mean shy away. Something's wrong with me. They mean, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm climbing up a mountain. There is resistance here because that's the natural state of things. When you're going towards something, there's always opposition. That's so helpful. And I hope the listeners hear that because I'm somebody who like you has struggled with depression often on my whole life. And every time I fall back into the depression, um, you know, of course there's this overwhelming feeling. This is my life. It's over. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but that reminder that I, I can come up out of this. And to your point, I'm climbing a mountain and I live in Colorado in the mountains. And so that's a really good visualization for me. Yes, I'm here, but this is a natural place to be. And if we visualize ourselves in the mountains, the mountains go up and the mountains go down and the mountains go up and the mountains go down. And remember, they always go up and they always go down. Yes. I, that's such a great reminder. So powerful for me. I might actually print a picture with a mountain or something as a reminder to myself that the down is the natural part of the next up. And if you've ever been to the mountains or been hiking or something, you know that you start in the foothills, which are lower. So you've got an up and you've got a shallow down and then they get higher and they get higher and that up gets bigger and the down gets steeper. And that's if we recognize that our emotions are like that too, then we can accept, hey, this is a natural part of the progression of me as a person. I'm going to be able to go up again. It's okay. And I think what a wonderful visual for those who have, you know, lived that hiking life or even if you haven't can picture that natural up and down progression. So when we're talking about the down, what are the biggest obstacles that you see to the healthy mindset? What gets in our way? Yeah. And like what comes to mind here is we're talking about depression and this this can be any sort of clinical diagnosis or just you know a temporary thing yeah i like to think of it as like when you're in the down things aren't going as you would like them to you're feeling you're feeling the pressure you're feeling yeah really rumbling with these negative emotions and then you have on top of that a backpack Mm -hmm. filled with really heavy rocks Mm -hmm. of your brain being wired in that moment to point out all of the things that are wrong yeah then all of a sudden it just feels heavier and heavier and heavier so recognizing when you are in that state and finding a way to create a sanctuary where you're able to separate the voice of the depression from your voice I think is so key it's not going to feel like you're ever going to come out of it Right. It it just won't. It won't. Yeah. <laughs> but there are always things that you can do to stay focused on a future where you can see a little bit of a glimmer. Yeah. If you're not able to feel like strong emotions in your body other than crap, terrible, terrible misery. Like, yeah. Misery. Mm-hmm. Okay. But at least you can stay focused on the future when things might get better. Yes. Give yourself a little bit of relief and building positive momentum by honestly, like lowering the expectations. So I have, um, when I am feeling depressed, I have a protocol for myself Mm -hmm. that I get out of bed. I take a shower. I walk around, go outside for 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. listen to a podcast to help me to like refocus like because when you're in those moments your brain is really not able to access that higher quality thinking right it's not so you turn on somebody that can be that person for you right podcast or someone that you follow that can help you to reconnect with oh yeah that's right there is another truth (laughs) outside of my brain right now okay i remember when i was believing things were more hopeful I was taking different actions. If that happened in the past, it means I can do it again. Right. Um, so when you're in those, you know, down moments and really being gentle with yourself yeah. to not add 
extra rocks to your backpack, totally unnecessary. Such good Does advice. Such good advice. Because the things that we tend to add when we're in that depressed state are, I'm never going to get out of this. It's going to be like this forever. I'm going to feel like this forever. There's no hope for me but medication. And one thing I'd like the listeners to hear is there's nothing wrong with medication if you need that. Because if you had a toothache, you would go and get medication. If you had an earache, you would go get medication. So when you have this brain dysfunction, there's nothing wrong with getting medication. And one of the things that you said that, you know, I, I also want listeners to hear, and neither one of us are psychologists or psychiatrists. We're not medical doctors. Um, but you said that when you're in that time, you force yourself to get up and take a shower. And one thing I want listeners to hear is you hear people who are depressed talk about the shower all the time because sometimes the very act of putting your feet on the floor and walking to the shower when you are clinically depressed is a miracle. It takes every single ounce of willpower that you have. And for listeners who have never been depressed before, and maybe who have somebody in their family who is depressed, I want you to hear this. It is a feat. It is a heroic act for somebody who is severely depressed to get out of bed and get to the shower. Um, and one of the things that I love that you said, and this is an approach that I take too when I'm in those places, is I personify my depression as something outside of myself. Um, and I think it is so powerful to realize it is not me who cannot get up and go take a shower. It is the depression telling me that I cannot get up and go take a shower. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to focus on putting my feet on the floor and then one foot in front of the other. I'm going to turn on the shower water because when you're depressed, it can truly become an overwhelming thought. I have to take a shower and then I have to dry my hair and then I have to put on clothes and what, you know, what is this? Um, but if we can say it is not me that can't do it, it is the depression lying to me and telling me that I can't do it. Then you take one of those rocks and you throw it out and you take another one and you throw it out. And by the time you get to the bottom of it and you have to go back up again, now you've got a lightweight backpack and that depression has, you know, not cured, I won't say cured, but lifted so that you've got less weight and you're able to pull yourself up. And then you gladly reach back there, you grab those rocks and you throw them. And so it is something, depression is definitely a medical disease. Um, it is a psychological disease as well, but I think that there are tools, both medically and cognitively, that people can use to overcome it. So yeah. what are, we're, we're running out of time here. If you had three pieces of advice that you could share with all women or men to help them adjust their mindset, what would they be? Identify your superpower. Love that. Yes. Thing. Yes. Um, and what I normally like to, to look at is this. is like your superpower, when you turn it up really, 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 really far, becomes what typically we think of as our weakness. Ah, so, interesting. Kind of as a fun approach, I think, to looking at our weaknesses. So for me, like a story that I still struggle with, I'm still working through this, is that I'm too emotional. Okay. And that's because one of my superpowers is the ability to see and to sense and direct emotion in myself and in others. Okay. When I turn that up too far, it gets stuck in my body. Yeah. But it's not because I'm too emotional. It's just because that strength is a little bit too high. And so it's easier to think about turning down a strength than, you know, pulling up all your gumption and your gusto to like make yourself better, fix yourself. Yeah. Kind of like one and two is look at your strengths, work from them, see as many areas as you possibly can that you can utilize that in your life, in your career, in your business, in your, in your relationships. Love that. Yes. Yes. And then when I am using it too much, how does that play out? Mm -hmm. What can I do to just turn that down a little bit? Mm -hmm. And then the third thing would be to set up a routine that is simple and doable for you right now. You okay. don't have to jump into a two hour crazy morning routine that you're not gonna wanna do and is not gonna be sustainable. Yeah. Start with where you are 
and make one small change and celebrate the crap out of that one small change. Yes, I made my bed this morning. I would just like the listeners to know that I made my bed this morning, okay? <laughs> I can never make my bed. I know. I probably won't ever change that. <laughs> I know, but I decided I feel better when I walk into my room at night and my bed is made. Totally. So thank you for celebrating and clapping with me <laughs> that I made my bed this morning. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but when I go to bed tonight, I'm going to go to bed so happy because I get to walk in and lay in a cozy, clean, nice made bed. (laughs) And listen, like if you want to feel more celebration in your life, celebrate the small things. You're going to walk around like, oh my gosh, I'm so cool. I did that. I did that. I did that. Yes. Yes. Instead of waiting for the big momentous thing for you to celebrate, which is like 5% of the time you spend your life. Yeah. Celebrate every little thing that you do because it actually encourages you to do more of the little things, which is what adds up to the amazing things in the end. That make our life great because it's not the big things. It's not the graduation. It's not the wedding day. It's not those big things that make our life. It's the little things. It's, you know what? I woke up and made my bed and I made the best cup of coffee I've ever had. And I enjoyed the weather with my dogs. And what a great morning of all of these things I've, quote, accomplished before noon today. Just wonderful things that made my day. And those small days are going to make my life. Absolutely. And you can tell yourself that it's awesome that you made your bed, or you can tell yourself that it's not enough. Yeah. Either one is a choice. Either one is available. You pick. One of them feels good. One of them feels terrible. So (laughs) I love that too, that you can tell yourself it's awesome or you can tell yourself it's not enough. And today I think you and I agree. The best thing for the listeners to choose is to tell yourself it's fucking awesome. You are awesome. You are a badass. No matter if you got out of bed today, if you were listening to this show today, then you did something amazing for yourself. Celebrate that. All right. High five. Did I? Yes. All right. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram, the Badass Academy. Love it. Mm -hmm. You can go to thebadassacademy.com. You can also find me on my podcast, which is called Not Your Basic Badass on Spotify or Apple. I am, I hang out on all of those feeds. Yeah. So definitely like send me a message. Be like, Hey, I found you on Kristen's podcast. I'd love to get to know you. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a fantastic episode, I think. And I hope the, the, the listeners walk away with hearing, you know, they, they can do it. You don't have to judge yourself. And when you do, you can, you can choose if that's a positive or a negative and you're right where you're supposed to be. And you get to choose which direction you're going to go next. Oh my gosh. That sums it up so perfectly. Yes. 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 Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the So She Did podcast. For more information, to be on the show, or to work directly with Kristen, please visit www.soshedidempire.com. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends on social media and leave a positive review. We would love to hear from you. 